Live from Los Angeles at Sinai Temple, this is Rabbi Erez Sherman and Rabbi on the Sidelines. This morning, we are joined by ESPN bracketologist Joe Lenardi from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, author of new book, Bracketology, forward by Mark Few from Gonzaga, about the obsession of bracketology in the basketball world, the sports world, and beyond. Joe, it's so great to have you. Thanks for joining us this morning. This is a first for me, Rabbi. I have to say I'm honored. <laughs> That's what most people have said about this podcast. Sports and faith. Do well, they intersect? I mean, in fairness, I never made Rabbi on the sidelines before. <laughs> well, I haven't been on Bracketology, but a lot of your colleagues have been on this show the last couple of months with Greenberg and Shulman and Katz and Everybody's guessing, and first of all, you did a great job with this March Madness tournament. Tell us what it was like having March Madness back in the sports world. What it meant for sports, but also what it meant for the American public at large. Yeah, I mean, I, I am not a a anyone to minimize the pandemic by any stretch, mm-hmm. uh, and I I don't think that you know the fact that we didn't have a tournament in 2020 i mean nobody died because of that mm-hmm. okay uh it doesn't mean we weren't within our rights to be disappointed if you're somebody that loves college basketball i mean that's a reasonable feeling now, by the same token having it back you, you know didn't bring back any of those who we tragically lost in the last year and change. So mm-hmm. I'm not suggesting that, you know, in the grand scheme of things, basketball is like all that big of a deal. Mm-hmm. Having said that, just like we were within our rights to be sad, I think we were within our rights to be, you know, delighted by its return. It's human nature right, to, to, to grasp the things that you enjoy and taking it a step further. If it, you know, was 1% of a signal or a symbol that, you know, we as a people were in, in a way coming out the other side of all this, um, then I'm happy to have been a part of it um, because, you know, I think a lot of people – probably have earned the right to feel good about something. And, and this um, I know made a lot of people feel good, myself included. So, uh, you know, well, hopefully I'm in next, camp. yeah, hopefully next year we can welcome back some fans. Uh, and, and I think, you know, again, it's just a matter of keeping it in perspective. Absolutely. You know, I was watching uh, TNT with cats and Barkley and Ernie Johnson. And when VCU, um, got taken out of the tournament for the positive COVID test. He said something important, actually referenced his son who is uh, disabled. And he said, look, it's a basketball game. But at the same time, for so many people, I grew up in Syracuse. We'll talk about the orange and your uh, thanks for letting us in this year. We made a nice you little run with Buddy Buckets. Um, My pleasure. It's, more, it, it's more than a game. It's more than a game. So I like to put different buckets. I have my sacred and my ordinary. So let's start with the ordinary down the street here in Los Angeles, Sinai Temple from Pauly Pavilion. Lots of Bruins fans at this congregation, also lots of Trojan fans. The Bruins, the last four in, 
makes that run to the final four. Did you see that coming? And what would have happened if they weren't in? Who would have made that run instead? Well, the great thing about college basketball, and in particular, the NCAA tournament, is we never know, do we? Uh, and and he, here's the way I like to kind of explain it to people. And for whatever reason, I've done a number of corporate you know, Zoom events this March Madness and spring season, uh, and they seem to largely be tech companies and and data people and cloud storage people, and they understand, you know, metrics and data and analytics. So here's what I would say to you. We don't know about a UCLA because in, in in the bigger scheme of sports, a single elimination college basketball game is an extremely small sample size, mm-hmm. right? We're talking a 40 minute game with a 30 second shot clock played by overgrown teenagers <laughs> in which there is an average of 70 possessions in a game. And that might sound like a lot, except, you know, now we're kind of trending for those of us who need to get our basketball fixed, we're trending in the NBA direction and we're heading toward the NBA playoffs where historically the teams we think are the best almost always make it to the end. Mm -hmm. Right? Like the number of years that Jordan or LeBron or Larry or Michael or Dr. J or whomever weren't in the finals is, you know, a minority of the time. And I would argue that it's because in a seven-game NBA series that of 48-minute games with a 24-second shot clock, we're talking about 700 possessions instead of Mm. 70. So in any endeavor, whether we're talking batting averages, stock quotes, real estate prices, or, you know, the number of hairs on a human head, if you have 10 times the sample size in one endeavor versus another, you're more likely to get a true outcome the larger the sample. Mm-hmm. And college basketball is the ultimate small sample size event. In a lot of cases, you wouldn't do much better, or excuse me, much worse, by flipping a coin. Wow. And, you know... A number of things can be true. UCLA played their tail off in the tournament. Mm-hmm. UCLA was terrible in the few weeks leading up to the tournament. And in fact, were singularly responsible for launching Oregon State on its run by losing in overtime to Oregon State in I guess that was the four or five game of the Pac-12 tournament. I have to go back and You know, that's what I remember. And, you know, of course UCLA was incredibly unlikely to make that run. But you mentioned, you know, VCU having been knocked out because of COVID. Well, this was the 10-year anniversary of the first four. And the 10-year anniversary of VCU going from that – initial first four to the final, which is winning five at best 50-50 games in a row, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And 
you know, any of your viewers, if they want to take a quarter out of their pocket, okay, and flip it until they get five heads in a row, mm-hmm. that's not easy to do. Mm-hmm. Like you could, be, like I could start flipping now, and we'd probably get to the end of the show, and it wouldn't have happened. So, how much because is it, science? And how much is it faith? The sister Jean helped Loyola yeah. the gallon on the floor. Well, I will say, you know, the ACC player of the year and the best player on Georgia Tech did get a positive test right before that game against Loyola, and he was unable to compete. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I don't, you know, I, I got 16 years of Catholic school and nuns in my life. And <laughs> I, I, I learned, uh, never to mess with the man upstairs in March. Nice. The basketball nice. gods have a way of getting even. And uh, if if somebody, whether it's Sister Jean or Rabbi Sherman has an in, um, I want a piece of that action. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I told, uh, I had Coach Matt Doherty on the show yesterday, uh, on a Tuesday, and talked about Notre Dame and having the priest on the bench. And I explained that yes. my dad, who's a rabbi in Elkins Park, he's uh, watching right now as well. He, he used to do the prayer before the Big East tournament when Coach Beheim would go to uh, Madison Square Garden. Mm-hmm. It was always fun to see uh, how those prayers uh, how those prayers worked out. But really, I think it's well, a partnership. Well, so this this is an exclusive to Rabbi on the Sidelines, this story right here. I broadcast an NCAA tournament game for St. Joe's, my school, and my longtime uh, employer for so many years. Uh, and we, we had a Jesuit on the bench uh, and he F-bombed the ref <laughs> at a technical foul. The, the referee turned and was about to tee up the priest in the collar wow, and he's like, it. it wouldn't have been the priest so he teed up the trainer. Oh my gosh. And <laughs> Coach looks down like to the end of the bench, and the trainer's like, I didn't say anything. And you know, the priest is looking a little sheepish. Uh, so I guess it can cut both ways. Thank was, that God Mar- was that Martelli? It certainly was. So he's on next week, actually. After Coach Beheim next week, Martelli in two weeks. We'll have to uh, see how the priest worked out. See if, he remembers, see if he remembers the Father Mike technical foul. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> Let's talk about the book, Bracketology. If you haven't gotten your copy, definitely worth getting. Why did you decide to write this book, right? Uh, And first of all, let's start in the beginning. The story in here about how Bracketology basically came about in terms of you working with a newspaper and sending in all uh, the, uh, I forgot what it's called, but like, how did Bracketology become the thing that everybody knows by noon on Thursday of March Madness? You got to get those brackets in. Yeah, it. Well, I can't take any credit for that. Uh, You know, in my world, we don't talk about gambling, you know, because, of course, I'm a a representative of an NCAA institution and we're, you know, we're we're pure to the core. Uh, But certainly the notion of paying attention to the potential bracket or Thursday at noon is essentially where bracketology made its mark, right? It took 
that, I mean, we use the word obsession on the cover of the book and, you know, both positive and negative connotations to that word to be sure. But, you know, it's a passion for that's really unrivaled. Like, I'm not saying, like, clearly there are more fans of the NFL. Uh, or more people who buy tickets to Major League Baseball or mm-hmm. NASCAR or what, whatever it is that generate the most eyeballs and revenue in in the realm of professional sports. But there's something about college basketball and college football as well, but because there are so many more teams in college basketball, like t- almost three times as many as in high-level major college football, I would argue that it's the most inclusive major sport that we have, right? Sure. Like I live in a pro town, you grew up and now you live in another pro town and y- you know, the coverage is generally speaking dominated by the pro teams, right. except when one of the college teams gets on a run mm-hmm. and, and legitimately. So, but like we don't represent the majority of the country. Right. right, like there are maybe forty or fifty major cities that have franchises in one of the major professional sports. Mm-hmm. Well, every sliver of the country has a school. Exactly, and we're all from somewhere that has a school, or we all went to a school that's in the mix. Mm-hmm. And if we didn't, maybe our dad did and we grew up a fan of that school or you know crazy uncle bill or the guy across the street who you know we we we, we talk smack to when the team's play, or the person in line in the morning to get your coffee or whatever the case may be there's a little bragging right you know swagger thing going on with you know the school on my chest is better than the school on your chest and even if it isn't, I'm going to say it is because. Exactly. And, and, and I think because of that, because it's not always the Yankees and the Patriots and the Lakers and whomever, right? Like, sure, a lot of times it's Duke and Kentucky. But a lot of times it's Loyola and George Mason and Butler and VCU and Oral Roberts. And Abilene Christian, you can't forget them. Whatever you want to say, right? Right, yeah. and, and it's just—I think it's inclusive in a way that brings people to it. And I tapped into the phenomena by kind of saying what that bracket was going to look like in advance, mm-hmm. thinking that only the hardcore people in the sport would give a hoot about. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's maybe where we were wrong because <laughs> a lot more than the hardcore people in the sport give a hoot about it. And, you know, another inside scoop for you, uh, what's today, the 15th as we record this? Well, on April 20th, next Tuesday, the first bracket for 2022 is going to go up. And that was my question. It's going to get incredible traffic. 
And so how do you used- do that bracket with 2022 with 1,500 kids in a portal that you don't even know where mm-hmm. they're going? Is that the hardest bracket you've ever done now? Well, maybe if I turn the camera, you'll see the dartboard over my shoulder. I'm gonna be- <laughs> or the, the professor at the top of the steps with a stack of term papers. Right. right? Didn't they used to tell us, we'll throw them down the steps, and if you land on the top step, you get an A, and if you land at the bottom, right. you fall. Uh, you, you know, I, I just think that, uh, in a way, there's a, you know, I have to feed the beast. Mm-hmm. The, the the college basketball public wants something to chew on, and I used to say to the powers that be at the network or at ESPN.com, specifically in this case, I'd say, you know, I'm I'm just not comfortable doing it you know, this early, especially this year, right? Because as you mm-hmm. said, there's more player movement than we've ever seen. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's trending in this direction, but now we've we've made kind of an exponential leap into I mean, Some teams have four players left on their rosters. I've never seen Correct. anything like it. Correct. And, and they're probably not going to be any of the one seats next Tuesday. Exactly. Uh, but, but, you know, ESPN, because – they're in the eyeball business where I'd like to think of myself more as in the accuracy business, mm-hmm. right? There has to be some, like if it were a Venn diagram, where, where do the rings overlap? And, you know, they finally said, you know, we appreciate your quest for accuracy, uh, but our business model, you know, really would be enhanced if you would do this. And, oh, mm-hmm. by the way, we'll give you year-round compensation. <laughs> and I go, hmm, what a great idea. Why didn't I think of that? And then I, you know, I've had to change my business model, if you will, my practices, and develop an algorithm in which we, we factor in returning minutes, the relative oh, wow. offense and defensive efficiency of those minutes, make an estimate on the value of the replacement minutes. I mean, if you sign the second-ranked player in the country to play those 30 minutes, or if you sign me, the value is going to be different, mm-hmm. right? Plug that in and see what happens. See if UCLA ends up as the top overall seed next Tuesday. I can tell you that they're on the board. Well, actually, it's funny that you say that because I know they're projected number two in the country. So I ran out and got a couple of tickets for my kids to get into Poly next year. We actually need you in the synagogue world for a synagogue membership, right? In, in this, it's for membership renewal season for those people looking for synagogues out there right now, right? And it always predicts we need the Joe Lenardi synagogue membership algorithm to make sure that we can get our brackets right. We actually have well, a couple of... Happy. I would be happy to rank and seed and bracket the temples as ever you wish. Uh, you know, well, we're number one. <laughs> Sinai Temple, so, uh, at least number one in the West, Rabbi. At least, oh, that's uh, true. Yeah, sometimes we get placed in the different region. We have a couple questions from the uh, audience as well, but I want to uh, ask one. And if you do have a question, please write in the chat, either on YouTube or Facebook, and we'll have that chance to uh, Joe to get your uh, question. I want to talk about one team that you wrote about in the book that really interests me in terms of faith, and that's BYU, Brigham Young University. Mm-hmm. How in terms of their faith practices and their restrictions on not being able to play on Sundays, 
you actually mm -hmm. have to change the brackets around. So that's number one. Um, number two, there is a Jewish school, Yeshiva University in New York, if you're familiar mm -hmm. with them. Division mm -hmm. three, the longest winning streak right now in the country in the NCAA. And yep. if they were a Division one school and couldn't play on Saturdays, how would that all fit in? So let's talk wow. BYU first. Well, the BYU problem compared to Yeshiva is peanuts, really, because mm -hmm. it can easily be worked around, mm -hmm. right? And and when I complain about having to work around BYU, it's mostly because they play late West Coast games. I have to stay up late, and then I have to move them. And then when I have to move them, I can only put them in certain places because of their restrictions. So it makes me cranky. Got that doesn't it. mean it's wrong. Okay. My argument with BYU has always been that they are entitled to make whatever rule they wish in accordance with their beliefs and practices and more power to them. Right. Like if ESPN had a rule that, you know, they were no longer going to give airtime to short, big-nosed bracketologists, right? I would have to abide by that, and that is their right, mm -hmm. okay? My issue with BYU, and we talk about it in the book, is there have been instances, and we're able to document this in, 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 in the chapter, of other teams being disadvantaged by the committee having to move or replace BYU on different seeds in different regions, or in some cases, um, different geographic placements altogether. Like mm -hmm. there was a year that Providence had to go to San Jose from, from the East coast to accommodate, you, you know, BYU not being able to fill a slot. that mm -hmm. might have resulted a 50, 50 chance in them playing on a, Sunday. And I guess my argument is, as I'm looking out for the whole field of 68, and not just BYU, and again, full disclosure, BYU is now a client of mine. Uh, I have a handful of schools that I work with on non-conference scheduling in the offseason to help enhance, enhance their metrics. Like, I don't have anything against BYU. I just have something that I'm for the other 67. Mm -hmm. Right, that they they should have the greatest opportunity to be slotted wherever their record says they should be mm -hmm. slotted. And my argument has always been if anyone is to be disadvantaged by BYU's self chosen practices, it should be BYU. Interesting, right? And I would say the same thing about Yeshiva, and I would say the same thing about the Church of Bracketology if we had a team. And we had a rule, uh, mm -hmm. although, you know, I mean, let, let's be honest. There are about 300 Division One schools that play every Saturday. And it would be very difficult to field uh, a nationally competitive Division One program that didn't play on that day of the week. Mm -hmm. Right. Because yeah. I mean, 
what would you do in the NCAA? I mean, you could work, you know, what, what are you going to do? You're in your elite eight game. We're going to forfeit because if we win the final four is on Saturday, the following week, mm-hmm. uh, what do they do? What do they do in their postseason? Right. Uh, so Yeshiva, right. No, they're able to accommodate in some way there and they play before right. the Sabbath, before Shabbat. And actually I had a Tamir Goodman known as the Jewish mm-hmm. Jordan on the show a couple of months ago, yeah. uh, yep. a good friend of mine in Israel. And as you probably are aware, he committed to Gary Williams, the university of Maryland. And yep. when they said we can accommodate, he at that point said, I respect that, but I'm going to, go with the faith aspect on there, went to Towson, Towson accommodated it for one year until the coach was let go. And now he's in the business of faith and sports really coming together, which is a a really interesting thing. Yeah. No. And, you know, again, uh, I mean, Sandy Koufax wouldn't pitch a world series game in late September. Uh, One of the first baseball biographies I ever read. So, Mm. Nothing but respect. Right. But the show must go on. Yep. No, it's a, it's a really interesting uh, tension and also the respect. Yep. Yeah. For sure. We have a question from Isaac Greenberg in Arizona. Um, Isaac's asking about the new head coach of Arizona. They didn't go in-house, but they went out of house to uh, Tommy Lloyd, assistant of Gonzaga, for the last 20 years instead of choosing people like Stoudemire, Pastner, yeah. Miles Simons, uh, what's your thought on the new Arizona choice? Well, I'm not surprised that Arizona would want Tommy Lloyd as much as I'm surprised that Tommy Lloyd would want Arizona. Mm, interesting. Right? I mean, it's – look, of the, on the list of, you know, coaches in waiting in Division One. There's a lot of them. He would have to be at or near the top of that list. Mm -hmm. Uh, But what this tells me is, you know, Mark Few made it clear, I'm not going anywhere. Mm -hmm. Right? And and I don't have inside info on this particular topic, although I know Coach Few and I know Coach Lloyd. I haven't been in contact with him on it. You know, and as well as as Gonzaga funds its program, they're not going to match the salary of a head coach at a Power Five school, right? Right. So, so you know, if if Tommy has been turning down, you know, the Eastern Washingtons of the world in recent years to to kind of be the lady in waiting, well. Okay, you can you can understand that because maybe the, the gap is like this. Well, mm-hmm. now the gap is like this. You know, okay, uh, this is as good an offer as you can get, probably, and still stay on the West Coast. I think we'll be extremely successful, uh, and we'll see if if you know, kind of breaking away from y- you know the kind of bandit program that Arizona had become. Uh, and and I'm I, I'm not casting aspersions. It's on tape, okay. Uh, you, you know, maybe lightens whatever sanctions that could be coming down the pike from the NCAA. Exactly. 
So I want to go to something personal that you wrote in the book, the lesson that you learned from your dad. It's a simple lesson, but I think it's an amazing, amazing lesson outside of bracketology. He simply said, don't take your life too seriously. Explain what that looks like in terms of bracketology and in terms of how you live your own life. Well, I, I think what he was really saying, and of course, like any youth uh, or most youth, I suppose, I, I, I appreciate it more now than I did then. Mm-hmm. You know, that's one of the great mysteries of life, right? You, you, you know, you finally learn things when maybe you don't need them anymore, mm-hmm. but I need them as much. No, my, my, my dad basically said, you, you, you can take your work seriously without taking yourself seriously. Nice. Or even, you know, like, and, and because look, like I'm working in the toy department of life. <laughs> I love that. Right. Like I'm not, I'm not saving lives or, or, y- you know, doing things that are changing people's personal or economic or societal welfare. Like I'm tracking basketball games and ranking 68 teams mm-hmm. and it's really fun. And mm-hmm. a lot of people really pay attention to it and it has little or no impact on anything important. So I'm going to actually disagree. I'm going to disagree with you there because I think as a, both a a rabbi, but also a gigantic sports fan, I just want to tell you as a a, a rabbi's child who grew up in Syracuse, New York, there was Mm -hmm. nothing, nothing scheduled in my dad's synagogue. If there was a game at the carrier dome, because we, number one, we wanted to be there and we were, but number two, we understood actually the power of sports, the power of gathering, the power of, look, when Syracuse knocked out um, mm-hmm. by, by Houston, I was done. Thankfully, I lived down the street from UCLA and I was back in, right? But I think the power of what you do actually gives a lot of people hope. When I saw Syracuse pop in in the last four, wow, did that make my day and my week mm-hmm. ahead? Um, so I'm going to actually lift you up on a pedestal. <laughs> and, and I'm not like, look, I, I'm not trying to give you a bunch of false modesty and anyone who knows me, I think knows I'm neither false nor modest. Okay. (laughs) But, but you know, I, I I used to have, I had a real job for 30 some years Mm -hmm. and now I don't, now I work in the toy department and if it brings people joy and there's joy in gathering, absolutely. Do I think, that a major college basketball event can at the personal level be like a religious experience. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Like I think walking down a, a pure fairway on the golf course on a beautiful morning is better than going to church. Uh, like I totally like, like for me, the, the palestra is a cathedral. Like, yes, yes, yes. I get all that. I get all that. But but again, perspective and ba- I'm I'm not going to think of it at a level of gravitas that right. is subscribes more to it. I mean, there's plenty of commentators out there who are way too sanctimonious mm-hmm. for the fact that they're working in sports. And right. if I ever get to be one of those guys, it'll be time to stop because nice. it's supposed to be fun. Yep. 
Yep. Right. So you also have a, a, a we don't cry in our beer when we lose. Of course yeah. we do. Of course we do. Um, and, and, you know, I'm, I'm delighted that, you know, Syracuse got in and, and, and did well. Um, no, I'm you just know, thinking I, of all the phone conversations that people have, you know, they see your first four, last four pop up. They're calling. We did it. We did it. It's, it's like I did something right. Watching on the TV, the work that you yeah, did. Right. Well, here so, you go. I saw your yeah. t So you're going to have coach Bayheim on next week. So you can ask him this question for me. Okay. So he was quoted in the Syracuse paper when asked, exactly. you know, were you worried about your bid? He said, and by that point, I had them even above the first four. Yep. Right. And he said, no, I wasn't worried because Lenardi had us solidly in. And he wouldn't do that if we weren't, which on the surface sounds like he's throwing me a bouquet. Right. Except you know him and I know him. And that is Bayheim's way. And I would say this if he was in the box right next to me on this. I would say that's his way of giving me the finger for the times I didn't have them. <laughs> that's a nice way of okay? putting it. <laughs> no, but it is. It is because, y- y- you know, there's a little snark there. And I yeah, get it because I've been wrong a lot about Syracuse. Uh-huh. And I have to own that. I have to own that. Uh, so, yeah, yeah, and, and, and I played when I you, in basketball. Syracuse was great during the season, and then choked in the tournament. Right now, right. it seems to be the other way around. Yeah, that's interesting. And all of a sudden, you know, they're heroic. That's a new model for me. So you talk a lot about major college programs. Those are, I would say, maybe a little easier. You know, the number ones, number twos, maybe number threes. But then there's all these small programs. And you write a beautiful line in your book. You said, there are two kinds of people in the world, drains and fountains. It's up to you. How do you become a fountain, both in bracketology, but I think outside of the brackets in life? How do you soak it up and not let it go down the drain? Well, the line is not original to me. I think the first time I ever heard it was at a fundraising banquet and the guest speaker was Rex Hudler, a baseball player who I think does played some time for the angels. Hmm. Uh, Maybe he was an announcer for the angels. I don't remember, but you know, you can be a drain. You can be a fountain. It's really up to you. Mm -hmm. And uh, I guess my position is there are plenty of unavoidable things in life that are draining, right? And, okay, we can't avoid them. Uh, Rodney Dangerfield said, you know, we take perfectly good care of ourselves. We'll get very sick and die. Uh, <laughs> like, like, that just is, right? Uh, but, you know, the rest of the time, we kind of have a choice on what our outlook is going to be. And... I would rather be positive. It just makes for a better day. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and for, more than that, look, we all know, like, let, let's say you go home tonight and and you're told we're going to go have dinner with the Joneses or we're going to go have dinner with the Smiths, right? And every time you go to the Joneses, 
It's like, la, 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 woe is me. Let's sit around and talk about our ailments. Right? And when you go to the, when you go to the Smiths, you sit outside, you have a good time, you dangle your feet in the pool, and it's, which one are you going to want to do more? Right? It's, Absolutely. It doesn't make you a better or a worse person. It's just human nature, mm-hmm. I think, to gravitate toward the smile instead of the frown. Uh, and and I, I do think that bracketology a- adds a lot of smiles. Right. Absolutely. Because even the people who disagree, right, are happy to be able to disagree. Yes. Right. We're doing something like we're not arguing about, you know, uh, the the depreciation tax credit in the new financial act of Congress. We're talking mm-hmm. about whether Syracuse should be a seven or an 11. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's that's water cooler talk. That's that's fun. That's like who should play second base. It's it's like I said before, it's a game. It's supposed to be fun. And no, when I, I start smiling, it'll be time for somebody else to do it. I love that. Um, one shout out to Alan Fogel, good friend of mine and good friend of yours, who was able to uh, bring you on yep. today. Um, if you have not gotten your copy, Bracketology, Joe Lenardi, College Basketball and the Creation of a National Obsession, definitely get this book out there, especially in uh, light of April 20th as we get the Lenardi brackets for 2021 Ooh, and um, last question to close the show this afternoon. Um, what's the message that you want people to get out of this book? Why should we read it? Bracketology, the season's over. Why pick this book up right now? Because I think they'll learn a lot without it being overbearing. I like, like I would like the takeaway to be, hey, you know what? I'd like to hang out with that guy. I'd like to, I'd like to have a beer with him and talk hoops. And I will do that with anyone, you know, as long as they're paying. So I'm good. <laughs> I, nice, I don't want right. it to be like, oh, this was heavy. Right. Um, right. And, and one of the reasons I resist, like I've been approached many, many times before and the timing wasn't right. You know, last we had the pandemic this time last year. We had a bit of time on our hands. Mm-hmm. Uh, et cetera. And I just felt that. Uh, if I was ever going to do it, it was the right moment. And then thankfully we had a season because if we didn't, we weren't going to put it out for another year. Oh, that's interesting. Wow. And, and then we decided, okay, let's move ahead because, uh, you know, maybe maybe my public of bracket heads, uh, you know, want, wants to read a book. And I hope they like it. It, I tried to make it be 250 pages of this. Yeah, well, I couldn't put it down. I loved it. I continue to uh, reference it to so many people. I look forward not just to the NCAA brackets, but also to our synagogue countrywide brackets. We're looking forward to that special uh, algorithm as well. Next week on Rabbi on the Sidelines, Hall of Fame legend, Coach Jim Beheim of Syracuse. And right after that, Coach Phil Martelli, formerly of St. Joe's, an amazing, amazing man. Um, Now associate head coach of Michigan to Juwan Howard. But really also, and just maybe one last comment, um, 
these two coaches are involved in so much outside of the basketball world, especially on coaches versus cancer. Tell us a little bit about what you see outside of basketball from guys like Beheim and Martelli that make a gigantic difference in this world. Yeah. Uh, y- you know, the first time I met Coach Beheim, it actually was a coaches versus cancer event. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I have, you know, during his 30 plus years in Philadelphia, uh, accompanied Phil on more coaches versus cancer events than I can count. And have actually ended up occasionally filling in for him as the speaker at some coaches versus cancer events oh, wow. in, in, in this region. And uh, it, it is not a small token activity for either of those men. Exactly. Like they have raised millions and millions of dollars. And uh, I ha- I'm sure it's true with, Coach Beheim, but in in Martelli's case, you know, I've been with him when he's taken a call from a stranger, you know, Mm -hmm. my brother has cancer or my child was just diagnosed or what have you. Uh, And he's done it for for me. There's none of us that haven't been touched uh, by what is such a horrible and random disease myself included. And uh, I mean, I've seen him leave practice to take a call or do a coaches versus cancer, you know, thing. And, uh, you know, and I'm sure they're not the only two, but, you know, they do. You can count how much money is raised in certain geographic areas. And Syracuse, the Syracuse area was first nationally for a long time. Mm-hmm. And finally, Philadelphia with with Martelli and Fran Dunphy, formerly a temple. And, you know, it's a bigger market. Right. Right. It, it should raise a lot of money. Absolutely. Uh, and, and they've done just magnificent work. Plus, they hold a couple of golf tournaments. And that's yep. kind of my addiction in the off season. And <laughs> if there's golf involved, I'm generally going to show up. Well, then we hope to see you out here in LA during the winter months. Cause golf is always involved here on the West coast in Los Angeles. Oh, don't Go. torture me. <laughs> I'll, I'll be in, I'll be in bucolic Bristol, Connecticut, where, you know, sometimes the sun doesn't shine from the opening tip of the season until the last game in April. Well, we hope that uh, in your travels this coming year, if you're at the Galen Center for the Trojans or at Pauly, you stop down the road here at Sinai Temple and we get to uh, see you in person as well. Uh, Joe, it's a pleasure to have you. Joe Lenard, Bracketology. Get your copy. Rabbi on the sideline.